Grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. Uh, stand to your feet. We'll, we'll remain standing. We'll just read a couple verses and I'll let you sit down. John chapter number 19. How many of you got your outlines tonight? Everybody? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I've got six pages of notes for tonight. Yeah. And if I tried to make copies for everybody, uh, uh, you know, they, uh, Office Max don't have that much paper. Say amen. So here's what we're going to do. If y'all remember last time, we just kind of did a running commentary. I've got some pictures to show you uh, tonight, too, and, and, and we're just going to take a running commentary. And what I want to do, instead of just staying in the book of John like we normally do and staying in that particular chapter and those particular verses, I want to take all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of the Gospels and take you through the whole deal, take you through uh, the, the arrest in the garden, uh, the trial, uh, the trials, if you will, and uh, uh, then, then hopefully, hopefully we'll get through Calvary tonight. If we get, if we can, we have the time to do it. We're going to try to get through Calvary, and uh, and 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 it'll, it'll. I hope it opens your eyes because when you put all of them together, when you put all of the Gospels together, and you see the complete picture, it just it is amazing, amazing what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Amen. All right, if you're ready, say Amen. John chapter number 19, <clears throat> John 19, if you're here for the very first time tonight, we are glad you're here, amen church? Amen. We just go through the Bible, Wednesday night, nothing, nothing fancy, we just come together, get off work, throw, throw some cologne on or something and get here, amen? And, and, and we just open our Bible and we study and we read and, uh, and we learn and have a big, big time, okay? John 19 verse number 1, then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered and said, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, have power to release thee? Jesus answered and said, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Anybody, anytime somebody tells you that every sin is the same, uh, take them to this verse. Because that's not biblical. That's not biblical. It is true we are all sinners, but every sin is not the same. It's not. So anyway, let's go. Let's keep on. Verse 12. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend, and whosoever maketh himself a king speak, speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, which in the Hebrew is Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him. Crucify him, Pilate saith unto them. Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered and said, we have no king but Caesar. Lord, thank you for your blessings and your mercy. Thank you for the privilege of having your word in our hands. Thank you for touching us tonight and helping us tonight. Lord, I know there's a lot of tired people here tonight. and They probably came in from work and, and probably got a lot of list of things they could be doing right now. But Lord, I pray that you'll bless them for coming. I pray that tonight will be a night that's, that's refreshing it's encouraging, it's eye-opening, it's challenging and convicting. I pray that your perfect will be done. Please help me. Lord, I, I've done a lot of reading. My mind is saturated with information. And God, I pray that you'll help me get it out in a way that is easy to understand, it's easy to comprehend. 
And I pray that your perfect will be done. And Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. We're going to try to take this. Uh, I have a lot of information, and what we'll do is take each step in each situation we find ourselves in and go to uh, uh, the particular gospel that describes it in the greatest way and gives the most detail for that particular instance, okay? So first we find, first we find Jesus in the garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. We know that is in the Mount of Olives on the east side of Jerusalem, outside the eastern gate, across the brook Kidron, up on to the Mount of Olives. There he's praying in a garden. He's seeking his Father and he's praying, let this cup pass from me, but let not my will be done, but thy will be done. And we know Judas leads the crowd that comes and arrests the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says in Matthew 26, 55, in that same hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Are you come out against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then... This is why I put this here. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. At this point, Jesus is alone. Really, technically, if we want to uh, uh, be real technical about it, uh, even during his prayer, they fell asleep on him, and he was in his darkest hour, in his, in, in his deepest time of need of his friends, he was alone. But he is sure enough alone now. They've came, they've arrested him, they've taken him into, into custody, and all of the disciples fled. Even the disciple who said, I will never forsake thee. I will give my life for thee. We know it's Apostle Peter. Now, where do they do? They take him first to the house of Annas. Annas. Annas was the former high priest. He was the one in charge. He was really behind the scenes pulling the puppet strings uh, with Caiaphas, his son-in-law, Joseph Caiaphas, who was the present high priest. But they take him to Annas first. And why, 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 was, that, why was that important that they go there first? Well, they were given time, uh, uh, given time for the Sanhedrin to get together and get them. It's, it's, you got to understand it's in the middle of the night. And so they're gathering the Sanhedrin and all the elders of Israel. And so they bring him to Annas because he's, he's basically showing that he, he is still the man. And uh, uh, he is in charge. And, and not only that, uh, many scholars believe that he had a grudge. He had an issue. He had an attitude with Jesus because it was Annas' family who was over uh, the temple business. It was Annas and his sons, five sons that he had, that was responsible for the buying and the selling in the courtyards. And if you will remember, it wasn't long before that Jesus had come in and he had turned the tables upside down and he built, he made a whip and drove them out and said, you have made my father's house a den of thieves. That was his sons that he did that too. I tell you what, mess with somebody's kids, you'll get their attention. Say Amen. So he's not real happy with Jesus at this point. They bring him to, uh, to Annas, and here's what happens in Annas' house. Annas begins to question him. He begins to question him and try to accuse him. And Jesus responds, Jesus responds with the law. You remember? We, we, we said this last week. i got to go through this quick to get to where we need to go. But Annas, he tries to question him, which was unlawful. Because as a, as a Jew, he was required to bring witnesses and present the evidence. But he had no witnesses and he had no evidence. So when he tried to uh, interrogate Jesus, Jesus brought up the law. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. He says, go get the ones that heard me. I spoke in the temple every week. I was, listen, everybody heard what I said. Go, in other words, he's saying, go by the law, go get witnesses. Well, he saw he wasn't going to get anywhere. So they, they moved him from Annas' house to Caiaphas, the, the, the reigning or the, the, the present high priest, Joseph Caiaphas, which was the son-in-law to Annas. And here we are in Caiaphas's house. What begins to happen here? Obviously, we know they unjustly find him guilty of blasphemy. It says in Luke twenty-two sixty-seven, Art thou the Christ? Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, this is what Jesus tells uh, uh, Caiaphas. He said, if I tell you, ye will not believe. And if I also ask you, ye will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. That's in Luke. Here's Mark's account. Verse four, verse, Mark 14, 61. But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him and said, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. 
And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we of any further witnesses? Ye have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. Now, now keep in mind, keep in mind, I didn't say this earlier, but they had already decided to kill him. If you go back in, in John chapter number 14, you'll find out that they had already determined to kill him. They just had to figure out a reason why. He was already guilty in their eyes. They were trying to do away with him, and so they found him guilty. And some begin, this is what, now, now keep in mind, we're in Caiaphas' home. Some begin to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him. In other words, they would blindfold him either putting a, a linen bag over his head or blindfold his eyes where he couldn't see, and they begin to punch him in the face. They begin, to, they, they begin to pound on him, and with the blindfold, they were mocking him and said, if you are who you say you are, then prophesy. Tell us who it was that hit you. Just mocking him. They spit in his face, plucked out his beard. And as we see in, in verse number 65, they said the servants did strike him with a palm, of their hands. Not only were they hitting him with their fists, they were hitting him with their open palms. And then at this moment is when they put him in the pit in the holding cell underneath Caiaphas's house. How many of y'all remember the picture of the holding cell I showed you last time? So it's late at night. It's late at night. If you remember, they got to have a they got to have a reason to to execute him. According to their law, it was blasphemy. Blasphemy. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the son of God, so that's blasphemy. He's guilty. we got to execute him. All right, we've got our evidence now. Here we go. We're going to put him in the holding cell. So there he is, uh, Psalm 88. For those of you who, who forgot last week, Psalm 88 represents uh, when Jesus was in that pit, what he was thinking, what he was going through. It's a prophetic, a, a messianic psalm of, of Jesus' experience in that pit, in that darkness with no friends and everybody abandoned him. Early in the morning, early in the morning, they decide to take him to Pilate. You see, Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea at that time. The, the, the Jews did not have the authority to execute anybody. They couldn't execute anybody. Now, if they did, then their execution style would have been stoning. They would take them and throw them off a cliff, hopefully break them up bad as they come off the cliff, and then drop stones, large stones on them till they died. That was the Jewish form of execution. But because they were under uh, Roman rule, they had to go by the Roman rule and authority, and only the governor had the authority to do any kind of executing. And we know that the execution style was crucifixion, which is, which is you know, you say, well, what's the big deal about that? You've got to understand, all of it, 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 it makes the prophecies come true. It fulfills the prophecy of Christ. If you go back to uh, uh, John chapter number 3, he said, As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. When you are stoned, you are thrown down. When you are crucified, you are... Say amen. amen. You see, God's behind the scenes. We think the Jews are in charge. We think, we think, and it looks like Pilate is in control. We think the Romans have all, but God is up in heaven and he's pulling all the strings. No matter what church, no matter where you're at, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter who you think is in control of what's going on or how dark your situation is, always know God's in charge. He's in charge. And so they bring him to Pilate. Now, now that they bring him to Pilate, they got to they figure out another they got to figure out another accusation because the Jewish accusation is not going to work in a Roman court because Pilate could care less about their laws. Pilate could care less about uh, their blasphemy rules. And so they have to come up with something to accuse him of. And, and we know, as last time, as I, this, is all, this is all rehearsal, so I'm trying not to be monotonous about this. Uh, they accuse him of tax evasion, and we find that in Luke, tax evasion and sedition. In other words, he said he was king. He's trying to overthrow the Roman government. And, and so they bring him to Pilate and said, this is the deal. This is what's happening in Luke 23, 1. It says, and the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began, this is early in the morning, early in the morning. And they began to accuse him saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. 
saying that he himself is Christ the king. In other words, he said, don't pay your taxes. Now, how many of y'all know we know that's a lie? Because they came and asked him, uh, should we pay taxes? He said, show me a coin. And they said, they gave him a coin. He said, what inscription is on the coin? He said, Caesar. He said, give unto Caesar what Caesar's and unto God what's God. Say, amen. amen. So that's a lie. That's a made-up deal. But this is what you got to understand. The primary purpose of the Roman governor in that precinct was his primary responsibilities. And this is going to make uh, the, 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 your view, I hope, of Pilate a whole lot different. His primary responsibility was to keep order and collect taxes. Okay, say that with me. Now here's the way the Romans operated. The Romans would go into a, a country. They would go into a place and they would conquer. All right, but they would allow the country to basically stay, for, let's just say for the Jews. They would basically allow them to stay Jews and keep their traditions and keep their culture and keep their religions, but just keep them in line. Are y'all with me? They would know we're still in charge. We're still the boss and y'all going to pay his taxes. And the one thing, the one thing that the Romans were very serious about, it was law and order. Law and order. And so the governor was here and it was his responsibility to keep law and order. So when they started bringing up this man is telling people not to pay taxes, that gets his attention. What do you mean? What do you mean sedition? What do you mean you're not supposed to follow Caesar? So he, he, he intrigues them. And he says, okay, I'll hear the case. I'll hear the case. So here's where we're at. Now we're before the Roman governor Pilate. Now, <clears throat> Pilate is responsible. Here we go in verse 23, or Luke 23, verse 4. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, after he had questioned Jesus, you remember what he said in John? Uh, they, he said, are you a king? And he said, thou sayest. And he also said this. He said, did you come up with that all by yourself? He said, somebody else tell you that? Or did you come up, you know, and, and, and Pilate really don't like that too much. And, and you said, look, I'm not a Jew. I don't care about your law. I, you're here before me. And he questions him. And Jesus really, and even through the whole time, even through the whole time, we're going to go through several different phases of this trial here in just a minute. But even through the whole time, Jesus hardly said anything. And most of the time, he wouldn't even answer him to the point that Pilate was blown away. He could not believe that somebody was standing before him who has been accused of something that is, is, will be, the punishment will be death. In other words, you're on death row, but you're not even defending yourself. You won't even put up an argument. And this is blowing Pilate's mind. Why won't you defend yourself? Won't you give me something to work with, man? That's what, that's what Pilate's going through. And so he says, look, he turns around and he goes to the, he goes to the high priest, and this is what he says. Luke 23, 4. I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce. This is the they, is the elders, the high priest, and the crowd that's gathered now. They were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people and teaches throughout Jewry, beginning from Galilee. Remember, Galilee was in the north of Israel. All the way to this place. In other words, his movement has spread and his teachings have spread all the way from the Galilee region of the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, and all of that, all the way down to Jerusalem. And when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent unto him to Herod, who himself was at Jerusalem at that time. Now, here's, here's the deal. Herod, if you'll remember... Herod was responsible for the northern area, which was Galilee, the Galilee region. Samaria was in the middle. And then Judea, uh, which is Jerusalem, uh, 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 all of that area is down here. And so he said, hey, he's from Galilee. Let Herod mess with it. You, you got to understand, Pilate didn't want to have nothing to do with this. Pilate woke up that morning expecting another day, just like normal. And now he's pushed right in the middle of something that he really didn't want to be a part of. And so what he's trying to do is, is pass the buck. Just send him to Herod. Let Herod deal with it. Get him out of my hair. Y'all see that? So he sends him to Herod. Now, now Herod's all about this. Herod, if you, if you remember, this is not Herod the Great who built the temple. Who built the temple. 
uh, this, is, this is Herod Antipas. This is Herod the Great's son. This is the Herod that killed John Baptist. And if you'll remember, John Baptist is Jesus' cousin. Y'all remember? He had him beheaded. Well, Herod has heard about Jesus and all the miracles. He's heard about the people who were blind and now they can see. He's heard about the people who, who were, were, were lame and now they can walk. He's heard about the people who had nothing to eat and he turned the lad's lunch into thousands. Are y'all with me? Goody, 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 goody. I get to see a trick. Maybe I'll get to see some magic. I get to see a miracle. Bring him, bring him, bring him. He was all just like a, just a giddy kid at a circus. And they bring Jesus before him. And Jesus won't even look at him. Jesus never speaks a word. And Herod keeps questioning. Herod's trying to get something from him. He's trying to see a miracle. And he gives up. And so his soldiers begin to mock him. Luke 23, 8. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad. And he was desirous to see him for a long season. Because he had heard many things of him. And he had hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned with him in many words. But he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood. Now, now keep in mind. The chief priests and the scribes are standing there accusing him and bringing accusation after accusation, and he is saying nothing. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught, set him aside, and they began to mock him. And they arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. So they, they ain't nothing to him. And so they begin to mock him and make fun of him. And now... He's back in Pilate's hands. Can you imagine Pilate as they see him coming and here comes Jesus? No answer from Herod. Herod doesn't find any fault in him. Herod doesn't see any reason to execute this man. And here Pilate is. So we're back at Pilate's. Once again, once again Pilate tries to release Jesus, but he's vehemently opposed by the crowd. Luke 23, 13, And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, He said unto him, you brought this man unto me, and as one that perverteth the people, and behold, I have examined him before you, and have found no fault in this man, touching those things wherever you accuse him. No, nor yet even Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will just therefore chastise him and release him. I'm just going to let him go. I'm going to whip him, chastise him, and he's hoping that will appease them. He's hoping that that will kind of cool their anger and make them chill out a little bit, and, but it didn't work. Well, about this time, about this time, he gets a message from his wife. He gets a message from his wife. How many of y'all men know that you, your wife has influence over you? Cowards, I'm telling you what. He's warned, he's warned by... He's warned by his wife not to have anything to do with Jesus because of a dream she had had. Matthew 27, 15. Matthew 27, 15, when he was set down at the judgment seat. And remember, uh, this, is, this is in most likely in the Antonia Fortress. In the Antonia Fortress that I showed you a picture of last time. He is there. This is the judgment place. And he receives a note from his wife and it says, Please, please have nothing to do with this just man. For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. So we find in Matthew 27, 15, he comes up with a plan. He says, I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. we got a tradition. This is the, the, at this festival, at this, at this uh, uh, particular holiday, it was their custom to let a prisoner go, kind of like a pardon deal, just as, a, uh, as, as a, uh, an olive branch from the Roman government to the Jewish people just as a gift. We'll, and so he picked the worst one. He picked one who was guilty of murder, who was guilty of, of robbery and sedition. He was basically a Jewish terrorist who had committed murder in his act of stealing. Some scholars believe that the two thieves on the cross was his accomplices, and this man was the worst of the worst. So he had a great plan. I mean, this sounds like a great plan. Pilate's thinking, there's surely... Surely there is no way 
they would rather kill Jesus than Barabbas. Barabbas is a murderer. Who in their right mind would want a murderer turned loose in their midst instead of this innocent man? This will work. This will work. This will work. Matthew 27, 15. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner. See, he's notable. That means something. Everybody knew who he was. Everybody knew what he did. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate saith unto them, Who will ye that I release unto you? Barabbas? And most likely they brought him out. So he's standing there before the people. Or Jesus. Or Jesus, which is called the Christ. Verse 18. For he knew that for envy they delivered him. See, he's already got it figured out by now. Pilate already has it figured out that Jesus is innocent, that he is not guilty, and the only reason that the, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the religious elders have brought him is because they're envious of Jesus. And so this plan is, is, is perfect. It's perfect. They, they'll have to go with this. And when he sat down, <clears throat> and then he sees the note again, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas. How blind, deceived, and wicked is that? The religious leaders of the day begin to stir up the crowd and the people say, Ask for Barabbas, ask for Barabbas, destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto him, What shall I do then with Jesus which is called Christ? And they all say to him, Let him be crucified. Say that with me. Let him be so at this point, he's, he's, he's frustrated. At this point, he takes a bowl of water and, and a towel and he comes out. And I can imagine it's like some kind of terrace, terrace with steps going down. And, and, and here's the crowd out in front of him. Jesus is over here. And he brings, out, he brings out this water and he brings out a towel. And he says, I want you to know I'm washing my hands. In other words, he's trying to He's trying to deny any accountability for what's going on here. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. He says, I'm washing my hands of this. Matthew 27, 24. Matthew 27, 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, in other words, basically a mob situation, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Now watch what the people respond. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and our children. And let me say this. It has been for centuries. It has been. And so he decides to go through with it. And he gives the command. That brings us to chapter 19. And he decides to scourge them. Now... Scourging Jesus was, it, it was the, the normal Roman process for execution with a crucifixion. They would scourge the person first to weaken them, to break their body down, uh, to cause major, major blood loss. And, and usually the whole point of it was to bring them right to the brink of death and then take them to the cross and hang them on a cross. And so they take Jesus to scourge him. And as we go through this process... <clears throat> He tries again. He tries again. Now, now let's look. I got a couple of pictures to kind of give you an idea of what we're looking at. Of the, of the whip. Do you have the, the, the whip there? If you will see, if you will see, most historians call the, the, the whip that was used by the Romans a cat of nine tails, which would usually have a handle and leather straps that would come out, leather pieces, thongs that would come out, and then they would, take, they would take steel balls that were uh, uh, about, about that size, about the size, about half the size of a golf ball. I, I had some that I, I had looked up that, that archaeologists have found that were, they, they had a hole between them and the thread, the, the leather would go right through it, and some of them were even spiked. And the purpose of that was to cause deep, deep bruising in the muscle tissue in the back. And then they would sew into that either metal shards or even bones, sheep bones that they would sharpen. 
And as those metal balls would cause the, the deep contusions and the deep bruisings in the back, then the, the claws in the metal or the bone would rip the, the meat to shreds. And usually they would have more than one soldier doing uh, uh, the, scour the scourging, one on one side, one on the other, and they would do a cross pattern on the back, ripping from one side to the next. They would take the victim and strap them and tie their hands up high on a pole and stretch it out so the skin would be tight, so it would tear more easily. There, there are verses that we're going to read in just a minute. That, that, matter of fact, I'm, I'm just going to read them now while, while we're here. This is, this is how bad it was. This is, this is prophetic verses from the book of Isaiah that describe this particular situation. Isaiah 56, 50 verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. In other words, when they took Jesus to scourge him, they not only, they not only beat him and whipped him with this particular whip, this scourging, but they plucked his beard out and they spit in his face as they were mocking him. It says in Isaiah 52, this is, this is the key verse. This is the key verse. Isaiah 52, 14. As many were astoned or astonished. In other words, when the people saw him, when Pilate brought him out to present him to the people, and he's going to do that here in just a minute. When he brought him out to the people, the Bible says here in this verse, in Isaiah 52, 14, they were astonished at what they saw. The crowd, it shocked them by the way he looked. It says his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of man. In other words, what he looked like, he didn't even look human anymore. He was so beaten and he was so shredded. He was so mutilated in this scourging. Not only, not only <clears throat> did the scourging take place, but the mockery continued. It says in Mark 15, this is Mark's account, Mark 15, 15. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus. And when he had scourged him to be crucified, the soldiers led him away into the hall called the Praetorium. And they called together the whole band and they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns on his head. And we have a picture of the thorns. And put it on his head and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit on him, bowing their knees, mockingly worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. So not only did they scourge him, they had to have fun with it. They had to entertain themselves. So the soldiers made up a crown of thorns. Some historians say the thorns were between an inch and a half to two and a half inches long that they placed upon a skull. They put a reed in his hand as a scepter. In other words, mockingly as a king. He has his crown and he has this, this scepter in his hand. Then they took the reed out of his hand and began to beat him in the skull and drive the crown of thorns upon his head and drive the thorns deeper into his skull. They began to beat him with their fist and mock him. As he stood there bleeding and broken, alone, they all began to kneel before him, mocking as they worshipped him and had a purple robe on him. Now it's time to take him back. So they take the purple robe off of him and put his own clothes back on him. John's account that we read just a while ago. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put a purple robe on him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto him, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. 
Now here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is what's happening. I find no fault in him. That didn't work. I'm going to send him to Herod. Let Herod deal with it. That didn't work. He comes back and said, look, man, I don't find any fault in him. Neither does Herod find any fault in him. Let's, let's just chastise him and let him go. Maybe, maybe that will appease him. That wouldn't work. Still they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. It's becoming a raging mob now. So in his mind, he says, if I scourge him, if I make him look real pitiful, because most of you know sometimes people's emotions will come into play and, and maybe when you see somebody, even if it's the enemy, even if it's somebody you despise, even if it's somebody that you hate, when they are in a terrible, terrible position, a terrible, terrible shape, sometimes compassion takes over and you'll say, okay, enough. So that's what he was hoping. So he brings Jesus out and he presents him as a king. He puts him in front of him. And he says, behold the man. And if we were talking, it'd be like this. Look at him. Look at him. And I believe in his mind and in his heart, he's trying to say, isn't this enough? Isn't this enough? What, is, listen, can't we all go home now? This is your king. And they cry out even more. They cry out even more. Behold the man. When the chief priest therefore, now listen, look at their response. When the chief priest therefore and officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. It was at this time, it was at this time that, that they said he has, he has made himself to be this. Now, now comes out the truth. They are in such a frenzy. They are so angry. Because you remember, the first accusation they had was, was tax evasion and sedition, right? But now they said, he said he was the son of God. He deserves to die. Blasphemy, blasphemy. He said he was a son. Now the truth is coming out. Now watch what happens. That scares Pilate to death. One, the man will not defend himself. He will not even try to defend his honor. His wife is saying, I'm having dreams about this man. Please don't mess with him. Please don't have anything to do with him. I'm being tormented by dreams because of this just man. And now they said, he said, and he claimed to be the son of God. Now Pilate is scared. So he comes back to Jesus. He comes back to Jesus. It says in John 19, 7, the Jews answered him, we have a law and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And when he went again into the judgment hall and saith unto Jesus, whence art thou? In other words, where do you come from? Where do you come from? I believe he's pleading in his soul and in his heart, man, give me something to work with. Help me out a little bit. I'm trying to help you. Don't you understand? Can't you hear what they're saying? Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not to me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and I have power to release thee? Jesus said, I love this. Jesus answered and said, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. What does that mean? No matter what, God's in charge. You can believe this, ladies and gentlemen. The devil's gunpowder cannot burn until Jesus is ready for it. He said this, Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Let me, let me say this, because I know some of y'all are kind of curious about what I said a while ago about the sin deal. All sin is the same. No, it's not. There were some sins in the Bible that, that in the Old Testament that God would require stoning. There were some sins that would require a sacrifice, penance, repentance. Here's the deal. All sin is not the same. There are different sins that have different consequences. 
The Bible even literally says it, that sexual sin is a sin against the, your own body. And the point is this. The point is this. Yes, we are all sinners, right? Yes, we're all sinners. But all sin is not the same. The Bible says everyone, he is saying here, he's saying here, Pilate, you're going to do what you got to do. But you need to understand, the one that brought me here, he's going to be held higher and more accountable than you. Does that make sense? Look what it says. Watch what, watch what they tell him. Watch what they tell him. This, this just, it, it scares Pilate to death. He says this. And from that time, thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. Now, now watch this. Now the crowd is accusing Pilate of sedition. Now he is saying, look, you're the one who's at fault now. They've turned it completely around, and now they are threatening Pilate and saying, hey, if you let this man go, you're not a friend of Caesar. Now keep in mind, keep in mind, what was the main responsibility of all the governors? It was to keep order, keep the peace, keep order, and to collect If they could not keep the peace, then they would be fired immediately and usually executed. So now now I got a problem. Now now Pilate, man, he's in the middle of this deal. I know he's innocent. There's no questioning in my mind he's innocent. This is most likely who he says he is, but now I may lose my job. I got to make a decision. I got to make a decision. This is getting worse. This, this thing ain't going away. It's getting worse and worse. And so we know the decision he makes. <clears throat> John 19, 13. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, when he heard that saying, you're not a friend of Caesar, when his job was threatened, when his, when his placement as governor was threatened, He brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover. And about the sixth hour, and he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him. Crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Then delivered he them therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. Here's something significant. It says the third hour, which is about 9 o'clock in the morning. This was the time of the preparation. You say, preparation for what? They were preparing. This is Jerusalem. Remember, it's, 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 it's the Passover. So they are preparing... Now watch this. Everybody listening? Everybody listening? I hope I'm not boring you or losing you. Stay with me. I know I'm doing a lot of reading and just... They're preparing the lambs to be slaughtered. You, You get that? They're preparing the lambs to be slaughtered. And if I forget to say it, I'm going to go ahead and say it now because I'll probably forget it. At the very moment that Jesus was crucified and died on the cross is the very moment that all the lambs in Jerusalem were being slain for the Passover. Did y'all get that? The final lamb. John saw him coming down the riverbank and said, Behold the, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Church, say amen. amen. All right, let's hurry. Let's hurry. That's page three of six. <clears throat> we got 14 minutes left. Oh, help us, Jesus. All right. Jesus is, Jesus is beaten beyond 
beyond even looking human. They take the royal robe off him and put his own garments back upon him. And they tie the cross to him. Now, in most, in most dramas that we use, Brother Steve, you've been, you've been Jesus on the cross and you carried in the whole cross, the, the, the cross beam, everything, the, the long piece and the cross piece. But that's really not reality. <clears throat> the whole piece would probably be three, three to three, 300, 350. And, and, and so that's just not reality most of the time. After the scourging, they would tie the cross beam to the back of the victim and tie their arms around so they would have to carry that. And they would really, literally do a parade. They would put usually four soldiers around them in a centurion. And as they go through, they go through, uh, if you go to Jerusalem today, it's called the Via Della Rosa, the place from the Praetorium all the way to Calvary, uh, which is, is, is the... the Really, it means the way of sorrows. And they would usually do a long path. As, as one, one scholar said, because they're giving an opportunity for someone to come and give evidence for the execution to stop, but most likely it was for the, it was for the purpose of prevention. They wanted all the criminals... They wanted anybody else who would decide to call sedition against Rome or who, who decide to, to be a murderer, who decided to be a thief. Look what will happen to you. And so as Jesus is going, he, he, he becomes too weak. He's lost too much blood and he, he's not strong enough to carry the cross, so he falls. And so they summons Simon of Cyrene. And the Roman soldiers make a bystander come and help Jesus carry this cross. So Simon's there, Simon's there underneath that cross beam with Jesus. I wonder what Jesus is telling me. Could it be he whispers in Simon's ear and says, farther along, you'll know all about it. All the way to Calvary, we find ourselves. And they take Jesus and they throw him down on the beam. And as they're nailing him, well, excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself. <clears throat> as they're going through, as they're going through the city, and these are not, these are not highways. These are narrow, really, it looks like alleyways. As we were going through old Jerusalem, it's almost like a maze. I'm telling you, I, I, I was trying to get back to the motel and I turned one and there'd, there'd be another road and then I'd go to the end of that and turn it. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I've done seen way too many movies like Taken. Say amen. <laughs> I believe I was in the Holy Land, but they didn't look real holy. Say amen. I ain't lying. I got kind of spooked. But it, it's narrow passages. And, and so they're going through here and, and now he's got mourners following him. Women who are wailing and they're mourning. And it's most likely, it's most likely not his friends and it's not his family because he don't have a whole lot of friends and family at this time. Most likely it was professional mourners. They would hire mourners to come. If y'all remember when Lazarus died, they were all a whole house full of people just wailing. They would do that, wealthy people. Ain't that something? Wealthy people. Uh, if you didn't have enough people crying for you, they'd pay some to come cry for you. If it was me, I'd pay them not to come. Say amen. But that's, what, that's just the way they did things. And, and so here you have these mourners following and wailing over Jesus and wailing and mourning. And, 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 and it was all ritual. And Jesus has something to say to them. He turns around. He turns around and it says in Luke 23, 25. And he released unto him them that had for sedition, that's, that's Barabbas, murder and was cast into prison, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon of Cyrene and come, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. And Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. 
For behold, the days are coming, in that which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. For then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And that is a reference to 70 A.D. when the Romans come in there and kill and slaughter thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews. He said, don't be crying for me. You need to be mourning yourself. You need to be weeping over yourself. And this, this, this green tree, dry tree thing, this green tree, Jesus was the green tree. And basically what he's saying, if the Romans will do this to me, what do you think they're going to do to you? If the Romans will do this to a perfect man, a holy man, a powerful son of God who in him has found no guile and no guilt whatsoever, what will they do to you? And they have no concept. And so they bring Jesus, they bring Jesus to Calvary. Now we find our place at Gordon's Calvary. There's two places. There's two places. <clears throat> There's two places in, in Jerusalem. One is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and one is Gordon's Calvary, that they'll take you that are possible locations of where Jesus died. I've been to both of them, and, and I'll be honest with you. And there's two different, two different places that the, the tomb could be. Uh, we find the, the, the picture I want to show you, I don't, have my, I don't have my little laser pointer, but do y'all see the, the, the skull-looking face on the right side of the rock with the eyes. Can everybody see that? This is called Gordon's Calvary. I learned some things this week that was kind of intriguing. A man named Charles, General Charles Chinese Gordon. He was a British general who came to Jerusalem, lived in Jerusalem. He was standing on the north wall of the old city of Jerusalem, there there was a place that they had dwelling quarters on the wall. And he was talking to his friends, and his friends just happened to be Horatio Spafford. And most of y'all are thinking, who is Horatio Spafford? How many of y'all have ever heard, it is well with my soul? Horatio Spafford's daughters were killed in a shipwreck. He had sent his wife and daughters to England on a ship because their friend, D.L. Moody, was going to be preaching and speaking over there. So they were going to take a holiday and go over. He had to handle some business, so he stayed behind. And, and when she got over there after the shipwreck, she, sent, uh, she was the only one that survived, and she sent a telegram back to him with the words, Saved alone. He lost all of his daughters. And so he catches a ship as quick as he could and he's coming, he's coming to England and he gets to the place where the shipwreck took place where he lost his daughters and he asked the captain, would you please let me know when we get to that place? And so he's standing there looking out over the dark waters of, of where his daughter's grave was, basically a watery grave. And he begins to write, when peace like a river attendeth my way. When, are y'all with me? I, I, I'm going to start crying if I read the rest of it. But y'all know, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Horatio Spafford and his wife, they make the decision to move to Jerusalem. And they begin an American colony in Jerusalem, ministering to people there. And as General, uh, uh, General Gordon, General Charles Gordon, is there speaking and talking with Horatio Spafford and his wife there in Jerusalem, he looks out across and he sees this. And this is, this is called Gordon's Calvary. And you can, you can go there to this day. They, they, we, we went to the spot. And I can't even describe to you. I can't even describe to you. The, 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 if you will look here, they begin to excavate around it and dig around it. And they found a tomb and they found a garden area. Just like described in the Gospels. And, and I've been to both places. In my personal opinion, I don't ever usually, I say never. I usually don't give my opinion from the pulpit, but I'm just giving my opinion this. I, 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 there's, there's something so significant about this. You say, well, you shouldn't operate on feelings. That's true. That's true. But sometimes the Holy Spirit 
will identify with your spirit. And as we're sitting there, it was so peaceful. It was hard to describe. I, here's one account. Here's one account. General Charles Gordon was a well-known British leader when he came to live near Jerusalem in 1882. Often visiting the home of Horatio and Anna Spafford, founders of the American colony, from which from the quarters atop the northern wall of the old city, Gordon had a view of a rocky embankment in which he identified the features of a skull. Because if you remember, it was Galgotha, which means the place of the skull. Skull. Around the corner was an ancient tomb which he believed was the empty tomb of Christ. A decade later, the property was purchased by a concerned group of Christians in England and the Garden Tomb Association was formed. And they are still in charge right now to this day. They are still operating uh, that area. Now here's concerning the tomb's authenticity. Robert Alexander Stuart McAllister wrote in 1907, It is a pity that so much is claimed for this tomb. The prejudice raised thereby is apt to blind one to the fact that it is a remarkably interesting sepulcher. In conversation with tourists at the hotel in Jerusalem, I constantly hear such a remark as this. I came to Jerusalem fully convinced that the church of the Holy Sepulcher was the true site. But when I went to the church and saw all the mummery that goes on there, and I saw the Mohammedan soldiers guarding the place to prevent Christians from fighting, Then I went to the peaceful garden. Then I knew that the church was wrong and that Gordon had found the real site. This is the most convincing argument that can be advanced in favor of the tomb. And it is obviously quite unanswerable. What is he saying? He's saying the same thing. You go to one and it seems materialistic. It seems commercial. It just seems. But then you find yourself in this place and there's, there's no way to describe it. But we find they bring him to Calvary. Whether it is or not, we'll, we'll know when we get to heaven. Say amen. But they throw him down and they put him on a cross. And this is what begins to happen. Two minutes. Yeah, sure. Tell that to the kids' workers. <laughs> Two minutes. We can do a lot in two minutes. Lock-in night. <laughs> Lock-in night. Mm-hmm. All right, six hours. Let's just do this. I'll give you a preview of next week. Six hours. Three hours from 9 o'clock to 12 noon. 9 o'clock to 12 noon. Jesus utters basically three different sentences, three different words. Not words, but statements he is operating still as the priest he's being mocked still people are coming by and mocking him and wagging their heads if you're, if you're here if you're who you say you were then, 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 then save yourself the passerbyers are mocking him the soldiers are mocking him even the thieves are mocking him did you hear what I said what I say Thieves. Oh, but, 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 but wait a minute, preacher. You, you, you know, you, you forgot now. Now, one of them thieves, one of them thieves said, remember me. He didn't at first. He was mocking them just like the rest of them. I wonder what changed his mind. Come back next week. For the rest of the story. Ho, ho, ho. I'll give you, I got 30 seconds. I ain't going to tell you that part. You had to come back for that. Three hours. He's still operating as as the priest. Then Jesus operates as the sacrifice. At noon, darkness covers the earth. I'm talking about darkness everywhere. And for three hours, for three hours, there's darkness. And then something happens at the end. And it's very significant. So next week, we'll, we'll jump right in there to the, the six hours on the cross. Matter of fact, we could say it this way. Six hours that change the history of mankind.
and all God's people said. Uh, how many of y'all remember? How many of y'all remember Psalm? Ooh, man, I want to get into this so bad. How many of y'all remember Psalm eighty-two? Or excuse me, Psalm eighty-eight was Jesus's time in the pit. It was an Old Testament, an Old Testament messianic prophecy concerning what Jesus was going through and thinking in the pit while he was alone in Caiaphas's jail. Here's your homework. Go and read Psalm 22. This is Jesus' thinking and what was going through his mind and what he was experiencing while he was on the cross. It will blow your mind. And all God's people say it. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessings and your mercy. Thank you for the privilege to just have a group of people